0: Here's where we are in the story of Acts. We are going to read the passage today where the Apostle Paul actually gets arrested. So from this point on, uh, Paul is going to be in chains. Um, From this point on, uh, he is going to experience his walk with Jesus as a literal prisoner of the Roman Empire, and he's going uh, to experience a lot of things on this part of his journey, But he has returned to Jerusalem being warned by the Spirit that this was going to happen. He was aware uh, that this was coming. This was what was around the corner for him, and in fact, it does happen. Today, we were going to be further on in Acts. We were actually going to be in Acts 22. Uh, That's what we were set to preach on today. But I couldn't get over some details in the end of Acts 21, and I decided I didn't want to skip them. So uh, we're going to read this passage and then talk a little bit about what bad religion looks like. I don't really like title my sermons, but if I were to title this sermon, I would call it bad religion, all right, because that's the picture that we get here, religion that is sour, religion that is bad. Now, big qualification, it is some of the Jewish leaders, some of the Jewish people who are evidencing This bad religion, but we should not consider the sermon that I'm preaching today as some kind of attack on the Jewish faith because the kind of bad religion I'm talking about today can manifest in any religion, including the Christian one. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give some examples of where I've seen some of these same kinds of attitudes manifest even in Christian environments, and so we are not above this Uh, This kind of thing happens in churches all the time. But here in this passage, it's uh, the Jewish leaders who are evidencing it. So let's go ahead and read this passage together. We're gonna begin in Acts uh, 21, verse 27. It says, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him. Now remember, Paul had done ministry in Asia, particularly in the city of Ephesus, and although there was a lot of fruit there in Ephesus, and a church was established, and there were miracles that happened, it was not without a lot of controversy, both um, among the Roman leaders and the Jewish leaders in that city. So Paul is back in Jerusalem, and, and it is around the Feast of Pentecost, so there are people traveling, Jewish people, traveling all over the empire to get back to the temple for uh, the celebration of Pentecost, and it just so happens that some of the Jews from Asia recognize Paul. They remember him, probably from the city of Ephesus. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officials and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him. Now, I just want to point out here, Paul is originally detained really as a safety measure. Um, the, the Roman uh, troops that come down see that Paul is going to get killed. And they see he's somewhere you know in the center of this um, uproar that has happened. It's against the law for the Jewish leaders uh, to kill someone of their own accord. It has to be approved by the Roman Empire. So the Roman soldiers um, intervene, and Paul is originally detained really to save his life. And one thing you're going to notice in the rest of the book of Acts is just how the justice system, the Roman justice system, fails Paul terribly. It just gets worse and worse and worse, and he gets sucked into it. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who, was and who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Now, if you were to read on in uh, chapter 22, the end of chapter 21 and 22, you would see that Paul eventually um, gets permission to speak to this crowd. And when he speaks to this crowd, he tells a story that's familiar that you can read about all the way back in Acts chapter 9. He tells the story of how he was once a persecutor of Christians himself and how he encountered the living Jesus Christ. And that changed his life forever. And so he recounts that story to this crowd. Now, here's what I noticed in this passage. And what I want to hold out in front of us today is that bad religion always involves centering the wrong thing. It always involves taking something that should not be central and making it central. And at first, it's harder to see in religious communities, because in this case, it takes things that actually have the potential to honor God or have even come from God himself, but it makes these secondary things the main thing. That is to say, it is a form of idolatry, because it takes something that is not ultimate and makes it ultimate. And you can see where the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem have centered the wrong thing, because they utter this charge against Paul in verse 28. They say, this is the man who teaches everyone everywhere. By the way, classic argument exaggeration, right? If you've ever been in an argument with someone, you know, maybe your spouse, you always do this, right? You always, you never, right? When Chelsea and I are doing premarital counseling, we always, always look at <laughs> Most of the time, we, <laughs> most of the time in a nuanced way, we, we, uh, we always, we, uh, we, we, we warn, we warn against uh, using the words always and never, right? So this is classic. This is the man who teaches everyone, everywhere, all the time, he never, right? But here's the charge. He teaches everyone, everywhere against our people and our law in this place, the temple. This is the charge. He teaches against our people and our law and against this place. And listen, wherever, here's one way you can tell that an idolatry is being exposed because it will bring irrational emotional response out of people. Because our idolatries are so embedded in the way we see life, so embedded in the way we do life and manage relationships. Our, whatever our idols are today are some of the hardest things to see. And so when the Holy Spirit challenges them, it brings out this irrational emotional response. So this is the charge against our people, our law, in this place. So let's talk about these just for a second. First of all, he teaches against our people. Um, the religious leaders, like many religious leaders, even in our day, were obsessed with creating distinctions between people which could clearly define who was in and who was out. This is a feature of bad religion. Creating distinctions between people so it's easy to tell who is in and who is out. Now, if you look back in the Old Testament at the, God's um, prescriptions surrounding what the tabernacle and then the temple should be like, you will find that there are laws in the Old Testament that are very concerned that the temple not be ritually defiled in any kind of way. Um, The temple was holy, and God set up a system surrounding temple worship to communicate that holiness. There was a whole theology behind that of why. But over the years, and this is something that happens in bad religion, people went above and beyond what God had said to add their own ideas of what it meant for the temple to be holy. As a matter of fact, by the time this temple was built, an elaborate system of courts, of open spaces had been built surrounding the temple. The scriptures prescribed some of these spaces, but not nearly as many as were found in this temple. And here's here's what it looked like. Anybody could come into the outer court, even Gentiles, non-Jews, they could come there and worship God. The next court was called the Court of Women. Both men and women could go into this court, but we're told by Jewish historians that the women had to stay in balconies surrounding the edge of the court. They could watch worship but not participate in it, and we are now in territory where God did not say that this is how it was supposed to be. This was all made up. It was all made up. And then past the court of the women was the court, that was called the court of Israel, which was code word for the court of the men. And the only people who were allowed in there were male Jewish worshipers. By the way, it was the smallest court And it was the court closest to the actual temple where the sacrifices were offered. This entire system communicated who could be closer to God and who could not be close to God, who was able to approach and who was not able to approach, who was able to participate and who was not able to participate. The worship at the temple had become obsessed with distinctions between people. As a matter of fact, archaeology has confirmed that on the entrance to each of these courts were threats that if you went into a court where you did not belong, if you were a Gentile and you went into the next court, or if you were a woman and went into the next court, that the punishment would be death. And so this is part of the charge against Paul, that he has brought a Gentile, Trophimus, into the wrong court. Now that probably actually didn't even happen. They just saw Paul associating with a Gentile and got offended. This is a feature of bad religion. Um, against our people and then against our law. Now let's remember that God himself had given the law to his people. The law came from God. And the law stood then and it stands today. God spoke these words. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. And all of the laws that flowed out of that That was the law of God. It came from God. The charge here is that Paul is not honoring the law, that he's teaching against it. Um, And then against this place, the temple. Now, for the Jews who lived right around the temple, actually in this time among the Jewish intellectual elite, there was a robust critique, a criticism of the temple system because it was largely viewed as corrupt. However, if you were a Jew that was living somewhere else in the Roman Empire as an ethnic and religious minority, then you would look at the temple in Jerusalem and you would see it as your flag. You would see it as the symbol of your national and ethnic pride. You would see it as the last vestige, the last place of Jewish culture, Jewish power. You would see it as... This symbol of national pride. And so this is the charge that Paul teaches against our people, against our law, and against this place. Now, it's worth noting that just in terms of the facts, these charges are completely false against Paul. Um, Because the, the, um, the people and the law and the place were things that were good. And Paul affirmed this. So in Romans 9, we see Paul, who was a Jew himself, writing about his own people. And he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. This is flowing out of his compassion. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Paul is saying, I love my own people so much that I wish I could be cut off so that they could be saved. So great was his love for his own people. So it's false that Paul is launching some kind of attack against the Jewish people. Um, the law, this is what the Apostle Paul taught in many places. In Romans chapter 7, he says that the law is good and that it is holy. I think we have that verse, Letha. That the law is good and that it's holy, that the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Paul went to great lengths to say that he was not throwing away the law. He was affirming the law. He wasn't teaching a new set of commands. The commands that God gave were still in effect. That's what Paul taught. And then the temple itself, you know, he's being accused of defiling the temple, but over and over again, even through the book of Acts, we see Paul respecting the temple, going to pray in the temple, going to worship in the temple. As a Jew, he probably had love for the temple and for the worship that happened there. So, these charges are false. So, why is it that everywhere Paul goes, then, um, he is accused with teaching against the people, against the law, and against the temple? Here's what it is it's not because Paul actually teaches against these things, it's just because he centers something different. You see what I'm saying? At the center for Paul is not the people, the people are good. And the story of the Jewish people are good. And Paul loved his own people. It just wasn't central for him. The law is good. Paul didn't teach a new law, he reaffirmed the law. He was okay with the law. It's just the law was not at the center for him. The temple was good. Paul went there to pray, he had no problem with the temple. But he did not center that picture of national pride either. You know what Paul centered What he held out? The living Jesus Christ. Everywhere he went, he held out Jesus as the center. As a matter of fact, when Paul gets these charges and he's arrested, and then he has an opportunity to speak to the people, it's interesting because what he really wants to talk about in front of the people is not the people, the law, or the temple. What he really wants to talk about is Jesus. And it's Jesus that he talks about. He holds out Jesus to the people. Because Paul realizes that even though the story of the people, of the Jewish people, are good, and that God called them out from among the nations and worked with them in a special way, Paul is able to appreciate and love all of that. He just knows it's not the main thing. He's a, he knows that God has spoken the law and that we are to love and obey the law. He just knew it wasn't the main thing. That the temple was important, played a role, but it just wasn't the main thing. And here's why. It's because he sees that the story of the Jewish people was to create a picture so that God could work among them in a special way. And from that people, the Jewish nation, a savior would come who was always the main point of the story and that that savior would call to himself people from every tribe and nation and tongue. That's the main story. That yes, God had given the law. And listen, in a day and age in which we live, in which lawlessness abounds, in which people want to come up with their own law and their own definitions of what is right and wrong, it's important for us to affirm that yes, the law is good, like Paul affirmed. Yes, the law is holy. The commandment is holy. But here's the limitation of the law. It can't save any of us. The law only has the power to condemn us. It only has the power to say what we've done wrong. In and of itself, it doesn't hold out for us any hope. But a Messiah came. Jesus came. Took on the punishment that we deserve for breaking the law. So that we, in in his fulfilling of the law, so that we could be counted as having fulfilled the law. And Jesus said of the temple that he was the temple. That This building was good, but he was the hot spot for God's presence on earth. And after his ministry and death and burial and resurrection and ascension, he has poured his Holy Spirit into us, made us, not a physical structure, made us the temple of God so that now we are hot spots of God's presence and power on the earth. So Paul understood that Jesus was the center of the story. Now, I mentioned this sermon today is not some kind of critique against Judaism in particular because Christians many times also adopt bad religion. We adopt bad religion when we center being obsessed about distinctions between people. Have you noticed in the news lately there's been these high-profile conversions? Actually, like in the last couple years, there's been a number of high-profile conversions Whether it's music artists or sports figures or politicians. And have you noticed religious people are obsessed with arguing about who is in and who is out? What is that? It's like, just chill out. Just Just let God do his thing already. Right? Like, just let God, how about that? How about we let God figure it out, right? Figure out salvation in people's lives. But why do we get obsessed about that? It's because we want to know if we're in or out, right? And we often want to make the definition along the lines of who we are. At some point, I was disappointed in my discipleship experience to find that some of the relationships that I had thought were centered around Jesus were actually just centered around us kind of being like each other around us having the same interests and the same life stories. But there's something that happens when the gospel of Jesus Christ takes root in a family on mission. We become friends with people who are nothing like us. We come into relationship with people who we do not vote the same as, that we do not see the world the same as. And you know why? It's because at the center is not how we're the same. At the center is not how we vote At the center is not our race. At the center is Jesus Christ drawing all people to himself, right? And that's different than the systems of bad religion. Um, One of the, I don't know how to say this, one of the best, worst uh, criticisms I ever received um, was from this person years ago, over a decade ago now, who I loved very, very much. I, honestly, I had a lot of compassion for this person, and, and truly, I felt love from them. Nonetheless, um, you know, as a really young pastor then, they were not happy you know, with some of the changes happening in our church, and that's understandable because change is hard, and I was always willing you know, to process those changes, but at one point, this person um, nervously said to me, can I tell you something that's going to offend you And I said, sure. What do you say as a pastor? Sure, absolutely. (laughs) Bring it on, you know? Um, And this is what they said. They said, you have made our church like a storefront where just anybody can walk into it. (laughs) (laughs) And my response was, I said, oh, that doesn't hit me as an offense at all. (laughs) I said, I said, Actually, that sounds like a compliment to me because you know what it means? It means that in a community of people, Jesus is tearing down the walls, the artificial walls of religion that are built up between people so that God can experience his presence. Think about the blasphemy in the temple system that if you were a woman or a different race that you could not come as close to the presence of God Friends, I'm here to tell you that's not the God that we worship. He is calling all people to himself from every tribe and nation and tongue. Um, But we still do it, right? Or um, the law. I can tell you this morning, you could step into many Bible-preaching churches in the United States of America. I mean, churches that take the Bible seriously and preach this book, not just their own ideas or not just fluff. They preach this book. Nonetheless, what you would find is the preaching of the law of God, but not the gospel of God. What you would find is sermon after sermon after sermon about couldas and shouldas and you need to do this, you need to do this. And let me be clear, these sermons might actually be right? Because the law is holy. The law is good. But they are lacking if we can't also hold out to people the gospel, right? If all we preach is the law, you know what we create? We create an environment, watch this, where everyone is pretending to obey the law in church, but secretly breaking it. We create an environment where to be part of this, you have to pretend to be following the law perfectly, but you can't talk about the places that you're failing. Um, You know, I know Christians who think that the most radical thing about our message is the law of God. And they love to talk about how the culture no longer follows the law of God, and they're always preaching back at the culture, the law of God, the law of God, the law of God, increasingly to a culture that doesn't want to listen to us. But friends, the most radical thing about us isn't the law of God, as radical as it is. The most radical thing about us is the way Jesus came to save us from the condemnation of the law, from the curse of the law, the way he came to rescue us. This is the most radical thing that we hold out to our culture, not the law. But Jesus the Christ, the King, the Lord, who has come to save his people from their sin, where they broke the law, right? Or let's consider this, the temple, you know, this picture of national pride. You know, I think one reason uh, the Jewish people were so emotional and serious about protecting the temple was because this was kind of a physical picture of them trying to protect themselves from outside forces that were crushing in on them. And I know many people who view church this way, that church is the place they come to protect themselves and their children from all of the outside forces that crushing in on them. Now listen, if you're a parent or if you're a children or youth worker, we do have a role in protecting our kids. But our our role is not only to protect them. It is to position them for their role in the kingdom of God, which is to be on mission. And I do want to protect my children, but I also want to expose them to the places, even the broken places in the world, where God is at work. Because in the end, they need to see where God is at work in the world. Nothing will build their faith more. Chelsea and I served at a church while we were in college, and honestly, it was a great church. They loved us, nurtured us well. Um, but the church was very protectionist. Uh, we served with the youth ministry, and the parents were obsessed with the question of like, protecting their kids. And like I said, every, every parent knows that is part of our role, to protect our children. But I remember one time, this kid showed up at the youth group, and it just had a terribly traumatic story. And he clearly did not fit into the picture of what it meant to be part of this youth group. And I'm telling you, this caused such an uproar among the parents. Meetings were held. Things were, I remember one parent telling me, you know, we didn't have kids, they were just in college. I remember one parent telling me, um, I bring my kids to church to protect them. Not to have this kind of influence. And by the way, I don't even think he was influencing. He was showing up at youth group. Um, I bring my kid to protect them, not to. um, You know what's sad about that? Is when you trust in anything but God to protect you and your children, it will let you down. Including the church. Including religion. And sadly, I'm not making any accusations, but sadly, Chelsea and I like know many of those families and keep up with them. And I'm telling you, in a, in, a, in a youth group that had so many kids that we were working with, almost none of them are following Jesus. And by that, I don't mean that they drifted off or they're lukewarm. I mean they intellectually rejected the faith. Um, because that kind of protection and control ultimately doesn't work All of that is bad religion. And it's why we center Jesus. It's why he is our message. It's why no matter where God leads us as a church or whatever sermons we preach, ultimately what we hold out to each other and to the world is Jesus, the living Christ, like Paul did in this passage. Now, here's the good news for all of you. Um, I think bad religion ultimately lets us down. I think bad religion ultimately leaves us wanting. And you might have the capacity to keep participating in bad religion, but it's gonna leave you empty in the end. So here's the good news for us today. First of all, if you know what it feels like to be an outsider on any level, to be told that you can only come so close to God or so close to love or so close to acceptance. If you're an outsider in your family, or if you're an outsider racially or ethnically, or if you're a sexual outsider, or if you're an outsider because everywhere you go, people don't accept you, whatever it is, I'm telling you that Jesus has come to extend his salvation to you. And you might be left as an outsider everywhere else, But God opens his hands. He opens his heart to you. And if you need proof of that, don't look at the religious systems that claim to bear his name. Look at Jesus dying on the cross for you. That is God's invitation written in blood for you to come close. Um, Or this, maybe you are a lawbreaker. Maybe. You definitely are. And friends, if what we preached was just some ethical system that we claimed was a better system of morality than the systems of other people's morality or something like that, it turns into a game of comparisons that we're all secretly failing at. But the gospel cuts through all of that and frees us. There's something freeing about saying, I'm the worst of sinners. If I've broken the law in one place, I've broken it all. Now listen, If you can't admit that, if you can't admit that you're a lawbreaker, well, then it's kind of a non-starter because it's about your goodness instead of the goodness of God. But if you're here this morning and you're like, I mess up, I keep messing up, I break the law, I'm more guilty than what I know, then there is an answer for that, and it's Jesus because he came to break the power of the law's condemnation on our lives, That's good news. That's what we hold out. We preach the law because we're so messed up that sometimes we don't even know what's right and what's wrong. So we have to preach the law, but we hold out Jesus, the answer to our guilt. And lastly, if you put your hope in a religious system that could make you feel better or give you what you were looking for. I know so many people who look to the church or to religious things for, for stuff that it just can't provide because it's not God. If you have felt let down by any of that, I'm even let down by us, let's talk about it. That's not scary to me. Even if you feel let down by all of this, you might be closer to experiencing the love of God at a deeper level than you even realize. Because it might be that God is stripping away the things that can't satisfy even the religious things to give of himself to you. Um, Craig, if you could come play. Um, if you could just close your eyes for one second. Who's ending the service? I keep forgetting to look. Thank you, Steve. Can not just do one thing and then we'll close? All right, Steve's gonna come and close in just a second. But if you could just close your eyes. And do sense God's presence this morning. Oh, well, we center you, Jesus. Even in this moment, we center you. Come, Jesus. I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the bright and morning star, Savior of the whole world, Bishop of our souls, King of kings, Lord of lords. Lord, I just want to pray in your presence this morning a blessing over the outsiders a blessing over the lawbreakers. I want to pray a blessing over the people who've trusted in the wrong thing. We center you, Jesus. So would you reveal yourself as Savior to us? Oh, Lord, would you call us into your family, even this morning? I think there might be some people here who you've never stepped into the family of God. You've never received what Jesus has to give. And I think that day could be today, a first step. Call those who are outside in, Lord. Hmm. Past that court of the Gentiles, past the court of the women, past the court of Israel. And Lord, because of the cross, amazingly, even into the Holy of Holies, the place where your presence dwells, take us all the way in. Lord, for those in this place who are lawbreakers, who have been even playing games, not confessing, hiding, Oh, God, we thank you that there's an answer for our guilt. And it's your son, Jesus. Lord, speak the word of forgiveness and of pardon. And Lord, for all the places where we've tried to use religion to protect us, you know, to, where we've used it as some kind of lucky charm, you know, go to church, it'll protect my kids, it'll make my marriage better, whatever. Lord, we just say religion, church, the gospel tab, our pastoral staff doesn't have the power to do that. Only Jesus is our protector. And so, Lord, we cast ourselves on you. In Jesus' name.